Good day, everyone. Pastor Ken here, and we're up to part 14 in this series on Knowing God. And today's study is entitled, What Happened at the Flood? Now, the Bible tells us that there was a time when the wickedness of men had become so great upon the earth that the earth, including every hill and mountain, was completely covered with a flood which destroyed all the people and animal life with the exception of eight people, that is Noah and his three sons and their wives, and also pairs of animals which were taken into the ark with them. Now this is an era which is also very little understood and which I get questions about from time to time. Now I must say that it's a huge subject. It's impossible to really pack everything in the time frame that I'm working with, I could talk for two, three, four hours and still not give you all the information that I could give or would love to give in the topic. But let's see what we can do to get as much as we can in our study time of maybe 30 minutes, give or take a few minutes. All right? So bear with me. Now, let us begin our investigation of the evidence. The Bible gives us significant clues as to what the earth was like after God created it and before the flood happened. Based on these clues, we can look around today and see that major changes have taken place since the flood happened or when the flood happened. We will look at some of these from the book of Genesis. But before going there, let's look at God's promise of a new earth. The prophet Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 65 and verse 17, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. Now, when the Bible uses the word heavens, it is not always speaking of heaven where God dwells. Depending on the context of what is being said, it may be speaking of the atmosphere above us. You know, when you look up into the sky, where you see the clouds and where the planes fly and such, you are looking up into the atmosphere, the atmospheric heavens. Beyond that, and extending for millions of miles further beyond, there is the realm where there are the stars and the galaxies, billions and billions of them, most of which we cannot see with the natural eye or with any available technology. God's creation is so vast, it's beyond us. But that realm is the starry heavens, and beyond that, somewhere out there, then there is that which is called heaven where God's throne is, where God dwells. Now, when the Bible speaks of God creating new heavens and a new earth, It is speaking of the earth and its atmospheric environment, which has been affected by sin. But this includes also the sun, earth's sun and moon, which we will see later on. The Apostle Peter writes to believers, and he says in 2 Peter 3.13, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. And towards the end of the Bible, Revelation 21 and verse 5, we read, And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. So God has given a promise of recreating things, restoring the pristine perfection that existed from the original creation before sin distorted it and spoiled it. 
Now, it is commonly believed that God one day got to the end of his patience with wicked men and just sent a flood to wipe them all out and start over again with a few. However, we need a better understanding of how the flood actually happened. I submit to you, dear listeners, that far from actually sending the flood, God held it back as long as he could until he had no more reason to do so. The flood finally came because God could no longer hold it back without forcing his presence where it was no longer desired. In order to understand what I've just said, we must go back to the time of creation to pick up a few clues which God has given. So we begin at the very first text in the Bible. Now stay with me closely. We're going to touch on quite a few things on this trip, all right? Day one of creation, the first scripture in the Bible, the first verse, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Verse 2, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. So we see that whatever the conditions were, whatever was before, Order was established upon the earth with creatures and created things. The state that it was in is referred to as the deep, covered in darkness. It says, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. So we see that whatever the conditions were, whatever was before the earth was populated with creatures and created things and light and plants and everything, it is referred to here in Genesis chapter 1 verse 2 as the deep covered in darkness, an environment of water enshrouded in darkness. Verse 3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. So that is day one. Let's go to day two. Genesis 1 verse 6. And God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. So the firmament is that open expanse that you see when you look upwards. The open atmosphere around the earth. When you look up into the sky, you're looking up into the firmament. Now notice this very interesting point, which just about everybody misses. Verse 7, And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. So that mass of water, which was called the deep in verse 2, God divided it into two portions. And he placed one part of it above the firmament, we just read that, and the other part remained upon the earth, beneath or below the firmament, under the firmament. Pause and read the verse again, dear friends, and picture this. Now verse 8, And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. So the firmament means the expanse when you look up into the sky. And this firmament was sandwiched between the two bodies of water. 
it says God made the firmament and divided the waters, some above the firmament and some under the firmament. The verse before makes it very clear that there was a massive amount of water which was placed above the firmament and the rest below. So by the second day of creation, there was a crystal clear canopy of water above the earth encircling the whole earth. Whether this was 10 miles or 20 miles above the earth, we don't know. The Bible doesn't give that information and we want to stay upon only that which God has revealed. But we do know that there was water above the firmament which encircled the earth and there was water below. The only thing that is below earth's firmament is earth itself. So the water below would be the waters that are left back on the earth. And we will see what follows next. Now, day three of creation, Genesis 1 verse 9. And God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the gathering together of the waters he called the seas. And God saw that it was good. So just by specifying the waters under the heavens, it does confirm also that there were waters above the heavens or firmament, which is the atmospheric heaven. When you consider that at the beginning, God divided what was called the deep into two parts and that which was left below were the seas. This is enough to tell you that a great volume of water, or you might say oceans of water, was surrounding the earth above the firmament. The water was suspended high above the earth and completely around it. Now, how high and how thick, we don't know. Now, clouds are in reality water vapor suspended in the sky. That's what clouds are made of. The laws of science shows us that heat causes water to evaporate and to rise. But when there is a cooling down, the clouds of water vapor become heavy and form droplets of water which fall back to the earth as rain. This is called precipitation. This thick cloud cover suspended around the earth formed what Job refers to as a garment around the earth. In fact, this is God addressing Job here in the latter part of the book of Job. And God says to him in Job 38 verse 4, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if you have understanding. And verse 9 says, When I made the cloud the garment thereof, and thick darkness a swaddling band for it. God said, I made the clouds like a garment for the earth, like a swaddling band. Thus the earth was surrounded in a deep, protective, insulating mantle of water vapor, miles above it. The height and thickness of this was precisely determined by the Creator Himself in order to produce the perfect climate on the earth. But when you look up into the sky now, dear friends, this is no longer there. What happened to it? We will see as we go on. Now you may also be thinking how dark and dreary it gets when we have a cloudy day, you know, blocking out the sunlight. So it must be dark as midnight all the time with this band of water above the firmament. No sunlight would penetrate in. You might be thinking this, but that's not so. We will also see why later on. But let's go back to God's creative work. The third day of creation had also to do with grass and seeds and fruit trees being created. But we'll just skip that and jump to day four, Genesis 1, verse 14. 
And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And let them be for lights in the firmaments of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. And he made the stars also. So here we see the creation of the sun and the moon. Two great lights, the Bible says. The sun and moon were established not only to give light to the earth. The scripture clearly testifies that they were to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. To rule means to govern, to exercise a controlling influence in some way or another. In other words, follow me closely, the sun and moon had a responsibility which went beyond just merely lighting the earth. The seasons of spring, summer, autumn, and winter, these are regulated by the movement of these two bodies, the greater and the lesser light. The sun regulates the yearly cycle of time, which is called the solar cycle, and the moon regulates the month-by-month -month cycle, using from the full moon to different stages of the moon till the next full moon. And this is called the lunar cycle. So you have the solar cycle controlled by the sun and the lunar cycle which controls the numbering of months. But apart from this, an enormous quantity of water had been elevated and suspended around the globe to form a complete mantle above the firmament. And to hold it there in place required a considerable amount of heat to counteract the pull of gravity. The sun and moon were placed in control of this situation. This arrangement was a masterpiece of the perfect balance in nature, which was established at the creation by the Creator. And God Himself said it was very good. The amount of heat produced by the two suns, and you'll understand why later on I call the sun and the moon the two suns. But the amount of heat they produced was calculated perfectly to keep the correct volume of water suspended at just the perfect height around the earth. Much of the heat from the sun was absorbed in this process and the excess allowed to filter through, to come through to warm the earth and to maintain a uniform, perfect temperature all around the earth. In other words, this mantle of water above the firmament, it served to distribute and equalize the temperature reaching the earth's surface. So there were none of these uninhabitable regions where there is ice all year round like you find at the poles, the North and the South Pole. These frigid zones where temperatures go 50 degrees and 70 degrees below zero. Believe it or not, it happens. There were none of these areas. It was a uniform temperature around the globe when God created it. it in other words, it was like an air-conditioned paradise, if I may say so. So thus the earth was maintained and it was kept at the best possible comfort level for man, for animals and plants, in which the temperature was mild and evenly distributed around the earth. Now today we know that devastating hurricanes start to develop when a hot air moving down from near the equator, meets with cold air, triggering off a weather system which usually turns into a hurricane or some kind of storm. 
But under that system, the way God created it, there were no adjacent areas of temperature difference to create storms like hot air and cold air. It was all uniform and perfectly balanced. There were no low-pressure systems and high-pressure systems to create storms or any violent types of weather activity. None of that was possible the way things were created originally. Understand, dear friends, that this perfect balance could only have been put in place by an almighty creator. And he is also the only one that could keep it in place. With all of nature on the earth and the sun and the moon working together in perfect harmony, only God could keep it in place. Plants and animals were able to grow much bigger in this environment. Because much of the harmful ultraviolet radiation from the sun was filtered out by the water mantle above the firmament surrounding the earth. Human beings too were much taller and stronger. The vital life force was much greater than it was after the flood. In fact, the Bible tells us that Adam lived to be 930 years before he died. Methuselah lived for 969 years. And it was normal for people to live many hundreds of years and even still be having children when they were 400 years old. But as I said earlier, a dramatic change took place. Not only in the landscape of the earth itself, but even the sun and the moon were affected as well. And the average life expectancy of mankind dropped significantly from hundreds of years to 120 years after the flood and later on to three score and ten or seventy years on average, according to the Psalms. So the life force, the life energy in humanity became significantly lessened after the flood. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5 reading on says, God grieved over the wickedness of men. It says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping things, and the fowls of the air, for it repented me that I have made them. We will see how it actually happened. Verse 8 says, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So God saw a man and saw that this man, Noah, was one who was faithful. And thus the scripture tells us that God said to Noah, notice now verse 12 of Genesis 6, And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me. For the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Rooms shall thou make in the ark, and you shall pitch it within and without with pitch. In other words, seal it with tar. And then in the following verses, God gave Noah the dimensions and all the specifications regarding how the ark should be built. Now, the prophet Isaiah gives us a clue as to why it was not dark and cold on the earth, even with this water above the firmament blocking out much of the sunlight. He speaks concerning when God recreates the new heavens and the new earth. In other words, he is speaking about that time 
when sin is done with and the wicked are no more and all things are restored to their original perfection. But notice what Isaiah says about that time. He's speaking of the future. Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 26. He says, Moreover, the light of the moon shall be as the light of the sun, and the light of the sun shall be seven times as the light of seven days, sevenfold. In the day that the Lord binds up the breach of his people and heals the stroke of their wound. In other words, in the day when God restores everything that sin had corrupted. Understand, dear listener, that this is both a prophecy of the future restoration of things and a description of the past. To restore it means to bring back what was already there before sin came in and corrupted it. It means to bring back that perfection that was already there. The prophet tells us, according to what we just read, that when God restores all things to the way it was before, the sun will be seven times brighter and the moon will be as the brilliance of the sun is now. What does that tell us? It means that in the original creation, the sun was seven times brighter than it is now. In other words, seven times today's heat and light were beaming down upon the earth before the flood came. But why wasn't the earth burned to charcoal? Because of that protective mantle of water, which God in wisdom surrounded the earth with at creation, even before he created the sun. But what happened? The sun went down to one-seventh of its strength, and the moon went out. That is why Isaiah says that when God restores all things, the moon will be as the brightness of the sun, and the sun shall be sevenfold brighter than it is now. Isaiah 30, 26. Notice early we read that God made two great lights. The moon was a great light like the sun is today. But scientists will tell you right now that the moon is a dead planet. Why? Because the moon does not shine any light of its own anymore. The moon only reflects the light of the sun. So when you look up in the sky and you see the moon, the moon is actually reflecting the light of the sun that is reflecting off of it from someplace else that the sun is at. This is a fact that any science textbook will confirm. The moon doesn't shine. It reflects the light of the sun right now. That means the moon went out. And it is also another fact, dear friends, and this can be easily demonstrated, as I mentioned earlier on, that heat causes water to rise and to stay up. And as things get cooler, it precipitates and it falls back down. So without that immensity of power of these two bodies, which God put in place to hold it in place, all that water mantle that was hung above the firmament came falling back down to the earth. Notice Genesis chapter 7 from verse 5 onwards. And Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. And Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters came upon the earth. And Noah went in, and his sons, and his wife, and his sons' wives with him, into the ark, because of the waters of the flood. There went in two and two unto Noah into the ark, the male and the female, as God commanded Noah. In other words, this is of all the animals that in they went in by pairs. But notice this, Genesis 7 and verse 10. And it came to pass, after seven days, 
that the waters of the flood were upon the earth after seven days. In other words, they were locked in the ark for seven days before the rain started falling. Before this, the Bible tells us that rain had never fallen on the earth before. So what was happening on the outside during these seven days when they were locked in and nothing was happening? The people were laughing and mocking them, most likely calling them a bunch of crazy fanatics, locked up in a big ship. But during the seven days when nothing seemed to be happening, something was actually happening which they did not realize. The sun was losing its strength day after day after day, and the moon lost its strength. It went out. The sun went down to one-seventh of its brilliance, of its intensity, and the waters came crashing back down. Notice Genesis 7 from 11 and 12. It reads, In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, the same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened. That's just a description of how the waters were coming down in such volumes that the writer says it's like the windows of heavens were opened. Verse 12 says, And the rain was upon the earth forty days and forty nights. So that great amount of water that God had suspended above the firmament around the earth in a moment took forty days for it to all fall back to the earth again. And notice how much water. Verse 19 of Genesis 7 tells us, and the waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth, and all the high hills that were under the whole heaven were covered. Fifteen cubits upward did the waters prevail, and the mountains were covered. And all flesh died that moved upon the earth, both of fowl and of cattle and beast, and every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth, and every man, all in whose nostrils was the breath of life. All that was in the dry land died. Notice the waters covering the mountains. So just imagine, dear friends, how much water there must have been coming both from below, what the Bible calls the fountains of the deep, and from above, the windows of heaven being opened. Imagine how much water, if even the mountains were covered. It's as if the earth went back almost to that state in Genesis 1-2, where it says darkness was upon the face of the deep. Well, you might be wondering, where is all that additional water now? I've been to Alaska twice so far, spending a month there on my second trip, meeting and talking with a lot of people. And there are places in the northern region where you can take a pot of boiling water right off the stove, open the door and throw it outside. It freezes before it touches the ground. It hits the ground as solid ice. In order to maintain a livable environment on the earth after the flood, God had to allow a few things to happen. Without that protective water mantle above the firmament, protecting the earth, the sun had to be much weaker than it was originally. It had to be reduced and the moon allowed to go out so that life can continue in this state on earth. Otherwise, the earth would be toast. Number two, all that excess water that was above the earth had to be allowed to be frozen at the north and the south poles of the earth to protect the land from being all underwater. You can travel through these regions for days and days and see no trees, for hundreds and hundreds of miles, just huge glaciers and thick 
masses of ice. And no one knows really how deep down they go. These are areas in which warm-blooded tropical animals and plants could never live. And yet, as the ice begins to melt slowly and crack in some places, deep down, they are beginning to find animals and plant and fossils preserved below the ice. And some of these are preserved almost in a perfect state in the ice. Creatures and plants which only grow in tropical and temperate climates are being found deep down in the ice in these areas. What does this tell us? It tells us that there was a uniform temperature around the earth. And all the creatures at one time lived in these regions too. Massive trees and other organic material buried under the earth for hundreds of years under pressure becomes petrified and turned to coal and also produce massive amounts of petroleum. That is how it's formed. And archaeologists have discovered in these frozen zones mighty mastodons. That's like huge elephants, bigger than the elephants that we can see today, that we have today. And these are found frozen in the deep ice of Siberia. And they're preserved in perfect condition. These are animals that could never live in that climate. Yet they're under the ice there. In the mouths of some of these were found yellow buttercups, perfectly preserved. As if they were feeding on these plants and flowers when some great calamity suddenly happened. Warm-blooded animals and vegetation, plants, trees, which could not survive for 10 minutes in these climates, are found buried deep within the thick ice. And there is much available information on this, dear friends. God is allowing the earth to reveal its secrets so that atheists and skeptics who mock and scoff and say there was never any flood, so that they may be silenced. He's leaving everyone without an excuse. But this proves, dear listener, that the climate in these frozen parts of the world was at one time able to support the vegetation and provide the animals with an environment in which they could live. But they were overwhelmed suddenly and disastrously at the time of the flood. Now, it took Noah 120 years to build the ark, while he preached and warned the people of the coming flood. This shows the patience and long-suffering of God in seeking to give the people every opportunity to repent from their wickedness and turn back to his saving grace. 120 years of pleading, but they rejected every pleading. Turning back to the book of Job, it gives us a glimpse of the mindset of the people. Job 21 verses 14 and 15. It says, Therefore they say unto God, Depart from us, for we do not desire the knowledge of your ways. What is the Almighty that we should serve him, and what profit should we have if we pray unto him? So it gives us a glimpse of the corrupt mentality of the masses of the people. They wanted nothing to do with God. Again, Another witness in the book of Job, Job 22, verses 15 to 17. And it begins with a question. Notice carefully what it says. Hast thou marked the old way which wicked men have trodden, who were cut down out of time, whose foundation was overflown with a flood, which said unto God, Depart from us, and what can the Almighty do for them? Dear friends, we're being told here that by their persistence in sin, as their wickedness increased, they were really saying to God, depart from us. We want nothing to do with you. 
And yet God pleaded with them through Noah for 120 years more until it got to the point of no return, where God finally had to say, Okay then, have it your way. And he turned away from them with sadness in his heart. The only one who could maintain that perfect balance in creation is the one who created it. But he was left no choice but to withdraw himself and allowed it to go back almost to the point of what it was before. It all came crashing down. But those who had put their trust in him, those who had shown that they belonged to him, were preserved safely in the ark. The Apostle Peter wrote some words that are very much misunderstood and widely misinterpreted today. But if you look into what is being said, you will see that it has to do with the flood. Follow me closely with this. In 1 Peter 3, 18-20, he wrote, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but quickened or raised up by the Spirit. By which, in other words, by which spirit also, the same spirit that raised him up, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. Now, there are some people who teach that this means that when Christ was crucified, he went to hell and he preached to people down there. That's such nonsense. Number one, there is no such place that is burning right now that's hell. The Bible teaches something completely different as to when that takes place. Number two, what would be the sense of preaching to people in hell? People in hell are lost. What is it going to do? Bring them back out? Makes no sense. But here's the context. Because the scripture itself tells us exactly what time frame, what context it is speaking of. Spirits in prison here mean in the bondage of sin. But what time period is it talking about? Notice the next verse. Which at that time were disobedient. When once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. 1 Peter 3.20 Amazing. Read it again and again prayerfully to see it clearly. This is not about Christ going into hell and preaching to people there as some misguidedly teach. What would be the sense? If people are lost, they're lost. And no amount of preaching can help them at that time. But this is telling us, dear friends, that for that 120 years, while Noah was preparing the ark and preaching and warning the people about the flood, Christ was there through the Holy Spirit, powerfully impressing their conscience and pleading with their heart to repent. But they didn't. They rejected the pleadings of God and wrote themselves off. But here's what's even more interesting. Most people can only see the flood as a catastrophe of destruction by water. But the Apostle Peter puts a different spin on it. He gives it a completely different perspective and he says, Eight people were saved by water. In other words, out of that great catastrophe, with sin and wickedness leading to the destruction of millions, out of it, Peter said God stepped in and saved eight souls that belong to him. So what most see as a work of destruction, Peter presents it as a work of saving those who were faithful to God. The same apostle again speaks to us, this time from 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 to 7. He says, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, 
all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflown with the flood, perished. But the heavens and the earth which are now, by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Two points. The mere fact that he compares the world that then was with the heavens and the earth which are now shows that there was a change in what was to what is now. And he also says, the heavens and the earth which are now are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. In other words, what happened at the flood and because of what has been buried under the earth, which under intense pressure has turned into massive amounts of oil and petroleum, and volcanoes of molten lava bubbling underground in many parts of the world right now. As a result of all the trees and everything that were buried under the earth, all that organic material, Peter is saying that has set the stage for the final destruction by fire to come. The first destruction of the earth by water due to the wickedness of men has set the stage for the final destruction of the earth by fire due to the wickedness and ungodliness of men. The Bible makes it quite clear that once again, God will be forced to withdraw his presence, leaving mankind up to the results of his choices, while shielding only those who are faithful to him. Dear friends, there is just so much more information that I could give on this subject with scientific evidence of things that are being discovered to back it up. But I will close this session out by giving just one more text from Isaiah to top this study off. Isaiah chapter 60 and verse 20. The prophet is here speaking of when the earth is finally restored. He says, Thy sun shall no more go down, neither shall thy moon withdraw itself. For the Lord shall be thine everlasting light, and the days of thy mourning shall be ended. What does he mean? Is he talking about what we mean when we say the sun goes down in the evenings? Nope. Not at all. In reality, the sun does not go down in the evenings. It just seems to be that way because it's the rotation of the earth which makes it seem as if it goes down. So what does the prophet mean when he says the sun will not go down again? He is talking about what happened to cause the flood when the sun went down to one-seventh of its strength. And notice what else he says in the text. And neither shall the moon withdraw itself. In other words, neither shall the moon go out again after God restores all things. For the Lord shall be your everlasting light, and the days of your mourning shall be ended. Dear friends, as we saw in the previous study, Jesus said to his disciples, Blessed are the eyes that see the things that you now see and hear the things that you now hear. He is saying this to you today too, dear friends. It is my sincere prayer that you will come to see clearly that God never forsakes nor destroys mankind. But when we forsake him, and by rebellion and impenitence tell him to depart from us, we eventually get to a point of fixedness, after which, with a broken heart, he must honor our choice. And yet even then, he still stretches forth his hand to save the one or two or eight or whatever who remain faithful to him, even as he saved eight people from the flood. May God be with you all. 
and grant you clear understanding.